The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Our guest today, Daniel Boone, talks to the future of our nation's retailers and the viability of trade with partners in countries including Mexico, India, China, and far beyond in expanding healthy world trade relationships. Welcome to In Discussion. My guest today is Daniel Boone who has enjoyed a successful career in the retail sector over the last 20 years. With the growth of his own company, Hollard Boone, a company recognized as one of the largest suppliers of polished pewter in the United States. And he joins us today to discuss this journey and the future of international trade relations. Daniel, welcome to you. Thank you very much for having me. Daniel, uh, what I'd like to do is chart your journey over the years from the inception of Daniel Boone uh, and uh, uh, Dominique Boone and Holland Boone and how that came about and, and uh, talk about the, the way that your, your company uh, as a firm in the retail sector uh, grew and evolved and then uh, talk about how you... Uh, get involved with suppliers both in this country and abroad and 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 see how your your uh, business model works um i understand that that you started holland boone about 17 years ago yeah that's right i you want me to tell you the little story on it or absolutely okay. you go ahead well about 17 years ago it was about june of 92 i um I had just closed another business where I was doing the manufacturing of soap plants and trees like that, and I would sell them to the retailer. And in about 89 and 90, that you know the economy took a big turn for the worse at that point. And so what I wanted to do after that was I wanted to, to sell a product, but I wanted to import it so I didn't have all the labor involved in making it. And, um, and that was a big hindrance with my first business. So with this business, what I ended up doing was <clears throat> I would go to Mexico, and I knew I wanted to start importing something, didn't know it sure, for sure at first what I was going to do, and I ended up bringing in an item called polished pewter, which is real popular throughout Mexico. Um, it's an item that is uh, molten metal that's poured into a sand cast um, process, and each time the mold is broken, and then they polish it and buff it, and they make beautiful pieces like bowls and trays and things that are real. <clears throat> the value is very good because they're very durable pieces, and they look nice, and you can decorate with them. So I started in my garage. Of course, you know, back then there wasn't as many um, wholesalers like myself that, that were in the pewter business. And so uh, I started in my garage, and I would go and uh, start doing wholesale trade shows. And as that grew, um, you know, I'd fill up the garage, and I'd need to fill up the garage more. And I'm like, okay, i got to get out of here. And so I would take it from there to a little place 
about 900 square feet was the very first place I rented. I was petrified to go from my garage to a little 900 square foot place because I'm now all of a sudden I'm paying rent and I'm like, wow, this is a big commitment. But it was absolutely the best move I ever did. And from there, I would continue to do wholesale trade shows around the country, the gift industry trade shows. And then I would kind of start to do little retail boutiques around the holidays. And that would start to get me my retail business. Well, as the store grew, you know, I, if I sold $1,000 worth, I'd put 800 back in and I would just live off the 200 or pay what bills I could. And I kept buying more and more inventory and I'd keep growing. And thank goodness the economy allowed me to do that. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's an interesting journey when you think about um, when you start a business. It seems as though no matter how much planning you put down and you think you're going to need X amount of dollars, the one thing that I've learned, which I'm sure anybody out there who has done a business knows, no matter how much money you think you're going to need, you might as well multiply that uh, four or five times because it's just never enough. So when I first started, you know, I used my savings and then I would advance credit cards and I borrowed from friends and, and just kept pumping in the inventory and I kept growing and kept growing and paid all them back and I just always kept building up inventory and that's a little bit different model than a lot of retailers and wholesalers. They don't like a lot of inventory. But one thing I learned as growing, the majority of my business was wholesale at first, 100% of it, and then we'd kind of augment it into doing retail. One thing I learned was if I'm wholesaling product and I don't have all the merchandise on hand, and a, a caterer, for example, might come in and they have a project and their project is two weeks from now and they need 25 bowls for a display or whatever event they're doing. If I didn't have the product right then, you didn't get the sale. So that was one of the main reasons I would continually buy more and more inventory and stock it. And you, you figure out real quick what to buy, what not to buy. And as we would continue to do the shows and and hit the retail market more, I, I really believe that the transition is continuing to move from wholesale to the end user, meaning more people and more businesses are, especially with the opening of the Internet, the world in essence has become flat. So we're able to do business in any part of the world a lot easier today than you could have 10 or 12 years ago. So <clears throat> that changes the dynamics of how I think retail in general will continue to evolve. Can, there, I, can, I, can I just, if I may, ask, in those initial years, it is well known, it is uh, clearly knowledgeable by, by many um, think tanks, that retailers fail, usually in their first two or three years. Um, is that do they fail because they don't understand the fine balance between uh, stocking inventory, uh, sitting on asset um, versus and you had hit upon this um, versus uh, having the right amount of inventory for the demand uh, on that particular day or month. 
Um, why does it, in your experience, uh, lead to so many retail failures over probably this being one of the biggest issues? I, I believe that one of the main reasons that retailers don't make it, is, or anybody in any business for that matter, is it seems to be the number one reason is people overestimate what they think they're going to sell. Because if you sit and talk with anybody when they say, oh, I got this business idea, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, <clears throat> excuse me, it could be a, a restaurant, it could be retail, it could be wholesale. One of the first things that they'll always say is they'll go, well, look at all I need to do is sell 150 hot dogs a month, and I'm going to break even. Well, they haven't even ever done the hot dog business. So why would they think they're going to sell 150 hot dogs a month? They don't know. And so what I've seen is most people will always overestimate what they think they sell. I think the second part is that they're undercapitalized, and, and that definitely is a huge issue. So those combined, in my opinion, will definitely be one of the main catalysts to bring a business down because they run out of money and then they're not selling the product and that, they, that they thought they were going to sell. Could it, could it also be that uh, retail people are not forward-thinking enough about uh, the asset that they have in the building uh, in, in, in which they do their business. Um, is that not something that's, that's very important these days, to, to keep concentrating on that core asset? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, if you look at a lot of business retail failures, uh -huh. especially the, the, the bigger companies, um, they've bought into uh, commercial property at the wrong time. They've, right. they've paid too much. Um, they're now upside down. Uh, their turnover uh, receipts cannot handle the the uh, responsibilities, liabilities they have for their property. Um, is it a good time? Uh, it, obviously, in creating a successful retail business, is about buying your property at the right time, uh, making sure that that's stable, and 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 having that as an assured core asset of the business. Well. I have to answer that in two parts. Uh, I believe that most retailers do not get the opportunity to buy their property. Most of them are leasing in malls or in strip malls, and they they don't negotiate hard enough a lease that they can really afford to pay. And a lot of times in some of the upper-end malls or, or malls that have a good location, even a strip mall, a lot of times – the landlord will want a piece of the action, and they give it up too easy. And And so I would be willing to bet that the majority of retailers do not own their own property. And I, and I think what I'm proposing here, Daniel, is that depending upon the exact SEC you're in or the retail sector that you're in, uh -huh. at times there can be low margins. And right. it seems to me that the the very best strategy that you can have is is to take profits out of the business and uh, place them into a firm asset and that would be uh, a property that you have purchased yeah rather than something that you're you're renting and you're constantly under the demands of the uh, of the landlord yeah you're absolutely right one one thing that that I did that I just think I got you know, I did it for different reasons than I think other people, but 
<clears throat> when I could, I went from renting my first space to building and occupying my first retail building. The main reason that I wanted to do it was because when I started looking at how much I would have paid to occupy the same amount of space, I found that I could build a building, pay a mortgage, and almost be equal or less than what a mall was wanting to charge for me. So for me, it made sense to say, listen, if I get into a building and I build it and I own it, I control my rent. So it's just like a mortgage on a house. You start at 1000 bucks a month. For 30 years, you're going to pay 1000 bucks a month. Well, chances are, over the 30 years, hopefully the value of that property is going to go up, but your, your rent is not going to go up. Your, your fixed cost on the, the mortgage is not going to go up. So that's one way that a business can help to secure its ability to last through difficult times like we're in now. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I raise this is that, and I don't know if the statistics are accurate or not, or, but they're talking about a trillion square feet of commercial retail sector property empty. Um, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, given the climate and given the spikes in the economy that we're seeing, how on earth you're ever going to incentivize any major investor to move back into those sorts of properties? Well, um, as far as, you know, that that's a very diff that's a very difficult position that everybody's in because uh, a lot of banks don't want to loan because they're afraid to take more risk when a lot of people would probably think and agree that we're not at the bottom. Nobody really knows where the bottom is. And typically, in my opinion, when, when it comes to real estate, even commercial or residential, once you've taken such a large um, adjustment in prices down, until you actually hit bottom, when you do hit bottom, you stay there for a long, quite a long time. It's not like a V-shape. That's, that's not usually normal with real estate. It goes down, it goes down, it goes down, hits the bottom, and stays there for a while until so many other things catch up and there's a real reason to push up the value of it. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't believe that we're at the bottom. I don't think we're far from the bottom. I think that um, hopefully we'll be there soon, but until... I don't know whether that was a positive statement or not. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it is and it's not. I mean, every, you know, you can't in, in, mm. in business and in, in anything, you, just like with your, you're running a race, it's like you can't keep breathing in air. You have to let the air out of your lungs. You can't just keep going and breathe it in. You have to exhale. Well, that's kind of the business cycle. It's just that the, the one thing that I've definitely learned is that it doesn't seem as though anybody knows the bottom or the top. But one thing I've learned is that for sure, everything seems to get way better for way longer than it should and way worse for way longer than it should. And things oversell. And, and you know, a couple of years, two, three, four years ago, you had banks throwing money out at everybody, and then you had values going crazy. And that was crazy money being spent, and, and all of a sudden somebody buys a house and it's up 50 grand in three weeks. Well, that's just that's not sustainable. And the same now, it, it's not realistic when, when a house that <laughs> really probably should be worth 300000 is selling for one eighty or whatever the case may be. 
I think that there is a real value on everything, but when people have fear, then it's a wild card. And until you have unemployment stabilized, and, I, and, and these things will all return, I think we live in a great country. I think, we, I think the American people are some of the best um, workers in the, in the entire world. I think we have a lot of great things going for us. I think we also are going to be learning a lot going through this, realizing that we've probably been pretty fat and very fortunate for a long time. And it's a good thing to sit back and say, you know what, I need to tighten my belt. I need to live a little bit more uh, smart and frugal. Frugally, that's not a word, but, it, but it's the only thing I can come up with. And I think that that has a lot to do with our outlook and, and how we move forward. Um, I don't know if that kind of totally answers it for you, but... Yeah, it does. And what I'd like to do is uh, turn the subject now to understanding your customers. Now, Holland Boone is located in what many consider as the affluent Scottsdale. Um, That is uh, frequented by what we know as snowbirds um, during certain periods of the year. And perhaps... Unlike many communities, it hasn't been so badly affected. As far as property is concerned, my understanding is that uh, as a recession occurs, uh, first you see uh, the demise of the single family and then the family homes, and then it's the the commercial, and then it's the industrial, and then it all reverses and starts again. Um, How do you... How do you tailor your business, uh, given what you sell, to ensure that uh, you are marketable, you are um, providing product that is within reach of those people who are in clearly right now, many in dire circumstances, to be able to maintain uh, your your bottom line, to make to be able to maintain uh, business activity. Well. I think um, I'll, I'll, ha- I'll answer that in several different parts. I think that the the customer that I mainly uh, sell to would be women about the age of 30 on the young side all the way up to 55, 60. And most of these gals, um, <clears throat> they do, they like to entertain, they like to have friends over, they get invited to birthday parties, showers, things like that. Well, it's kind of like what I've always believed is that you have to give a value for someone to come in your store. So we sell, I believe, products that are really great quality, really nice, and we sell them at a reasonable price. Um, most places, most retailers will want to sell a higher price item, and they'll sell it a lot higher than we do. So I work on a lower margin the other thing that I think is super important, <clears throat> I read a book a while ago, several years ago, called Hug Your Customer. And I would recommend every retailer out there or someone in business, it is a must-reading. There's so many valuable things I got out of that. One of them being was a lot of businesses get on this bandwagon of saying, well, we've got to advertise, we've got to advertise, we've got to get new customers, we've got to get new customers, how do we get new customers? And the reality is you spend so much money trying to get a new customer and your return on that is not at all what you would ever think it to be. 
And in the book, it talked about that they chose to spend 80-plus percent, if I remember the percentages correctly, of their money on their existing customers. So how do you do that? Well, if, if someone comes into my store, well, they're my customers. So why wouldn't I reward them? Why wouldn't I give them a coupon on a mailing list or on an email campaign to entice them to say, listen, thanks for coming in. Here's a coupon on your next visit. Well, the thing that bothers me the most, because I'm a consumer too, and if I get a coupon from uh, <clears throat> Best Buy or Bed Bath & Beyond, the thing that drives me crazy with any retailer is when they give a coupon, they feel that they need to put um, this weekend only or you've got five days to come in or blah, blah, blah. And they, I think that their thought process is, oh, well, let's do that because it will create a sense of urgency and the customer will come in and spend the money. When in reality, everybody's very busy. And we have a lot going on. And maybe you already have plans this weekend, and you can't really cut out to go buy those stores. And so what I do is I offer a coupon, and, and that coupon is good for 30 days. You can come in any time in 30 days. And I think that that has been a huge point because I, when I ask my customers, you know, you get a lot of information when you really ask them what to do, and then you do it. So when I would ask customers, what kind of coupons would you like? Um, what's a good expiration time, da-da-da-da-da. And the reality is, even though we put an expiration on our coupons, I've had customers bring them in 60, 70 days afterwards. I always take them. I never will turn them away. And the reason is, is because I think about how I would feel. You know, I went to Home Depot one time, and I had a coupon that was two days past the expiration, and they wouldn't honor it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I was going to drop like 1200 bucks. They wouldn't honor it. So I take that same coupon and I go to Lowe's and I say, will you guys honor this coupon from your competitor? They said, you mean Home Depot? And I said, yeah. And I said, but it's expired. They go, absolutely, we'll take it. Well, guess who made me a loyal customer? And I think that we all operate under the same thing. We all want to be valued. We all want to be taken care of. And we all want to believe that we're being heard. And that's so important. And we try to make sure that we honor that. And we try to make sure that, listen, the coupon's expired, but I'm going to take it. You know, you're here standing in front of me, waiting to hand me money, and why would I say no to you? Do you do you think that retailers underestimate the intelligence of consumers? Absolutely. In so much that, if a retailer and goodness only knows, I'm sure that many have been so desperate this last year, which is clearly the case because you see so many shut doors, that they provide incentives in 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 a version of a, a coupon or something on the internet with a very very defined period which is not based upon offering value to the consumer but it's it's a way of trying to hang in there themselves so that they can actually make payday the following monday I, um, I do think so is that just being terribly cynical or is or is that reality I think there's a little reality there, and I think I think you're absolutely right. One thing that I've tried to always do is I don't dilute sales, I, I, meaning I don't have – we have two sales a year. <clears throat> and I've learned that you make those sales really good, you give a great value, and people will stand in line because they know you only have two a year. And, and I don't ever dilute that. I don't have, oh, well, that sale went good, so let's have another one. Let's have another one. And that's a big problem when – in my opinion, when retailers do that. 
And also, I think that the businesses that are closing their doors, I think that the reality is when 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 a grapefruit tree is loaded with fruit, you know, the easiest pickings is the closest one. So you grab all the lower-hanging fruit or, or, or lower-hanging fruit. Well, that's easy to do. Anybody in the economy uh, two, three, four years ago, almost anybody in business was making money. Well, you could, they could, in essence, afford to be not as nice to the customer, not as nice uh, uh, to return phone calls or handle problems. But the businesses that understand that business is people, those people are still having customers come in their door. And I've always taken the approach that I don't care if someone comes to my store and they just want to look around. That's okay. It's okay if they want to spend $10. It's okay if they spend 1000 Every single person that comes into my location will get treated exactly the same. They'll get treated phenomenal. And I think that just as I go into a place, maybe I'm not ready to buy um, a $1,000 couch or whatever it is. And, I, and I, I believe that a lot of customers are the same way. We want to be treated with respect because the reality is I don't want someone pushing a product down me that they don't know my situation. They don't know if that's really the best product that I really want or that I would like to take home. And I don't think they show respect to individuals, and that's where it gets back to where you say that a lot of retailers don't realize how smart the consumer is. They, they want to be respected when they come into a, door, to a store. They want to know that <clears throat> maybe they're not ready to buy, and that's okay. And not only that, if someone comes into my store and there's a product that I don't carry or it's something they're looking for, you know what I do? I take the time to find a place nearby and say, you know what, I don't carry that, but here's a store that carries something similar to it. A lot of businesses are afraid to do that because they are thinking, no, I need to get a sale out of them. And the reality is that's just not, it's just not a function of life that I think is really important because if you come into me looking for something, why wouldn't I want to help you find whatever you whatever it is, even if it's not at my place? You'll still be thankful that I took the time to tell you about it, as I would be. And that's where I think a lot of people miss the boat, is they, they think that this person comes to my store, i got to get a sale out of them, and I'm not going to tell them about something else because then they'll go there and shop all the time. And I think that that's really, I think that's a wrong position and attitude to take. And it's unfortunate. I'd like to... Um move into the internet now as a selling tool um, and but but just before I do that um, one fleeting question is given the circumstances in which we all find ourselves right now which which are not terribly good um, but clearly you have to remain positive that somehow the economy is going to return um, whether that's with the manufacturing industry intact or completely annihilated we, we we don't know there's a lot of unknowns but given the situation today are you surprised at the amount of business activity that you still have i am and i'm very thankful for it our business has been down also but the the difference is if someone came in and they <clears throat> they would drop you know four or five hundred bucks well, that same person will still come in, and they may drop 100 to 200 or something along those lines. I think that 
Yeah, you know, everything, again, is in cycles. I do believe that everything will return. It's very difficult to be in the, the dark time and then try to think that there's really light at the end of the tunnel, but there really is, and things will get better, and things always change. They're not going to always be great, and they're not going to always be bad. It certainly may seem that way, and but I, I've always been a firm believer that, you know, if you, if you still give quality and you still take care of people and you remember that business is people, I think that you'll end up weathering the storm a lot better. And that's what, that's just so paramount in running any business, not even just retail, but any business. Um, a lot of the places that I look up, look, look at that have closed their doors, I sit and I go, well, they were never really a great store anyway, or they didn't really offer much, or every time I went in there, you know, they, they didn't really care, and they didn't say hi, and they didn't greet you at the door, and they didn't say, here, would you like a bottle of water? They didn't care, and that's the problem. Those are the places shutting their doors first. They didn't take the time because they don't care, and that's the problem in business. When, when people feel that they're not valued and that they don't matter, why would they come back? I wouldn't go back there. Moving on to the Internet, um, and I appreciate that, uh, that response to the question. You have embraced the Internet. I know that uh, a certain proportion of your business, your revenue, comes from the Internet. Um, how has it performed for you to date? It has been really, really good. When I first started the Internet, uh, again, I was mostly wholesale at the time. So what I did was, <clears throat> pardon me, I instead of making catalogs all the time and handing them out the, at the wholesale trade shows, which was a lot of money to print them and you're always changing them and you're always having to change the prices, I was looking for a way really to cut my costs on the printing material and mailing them out and postage, and there was a lot we were spending. And I thought, well, I'll just take the same catalog, I'll put it on the Internet, and it'll, it'll facilitate my business. So when, when we go to the shows, we can say, hey, we're on the line, online, and you can look it up. Well, it went from there to evolving into where um, now you can purchase online. You know, we keep adding to it. And, and the good thing is you I, – I think that a lot of businesses – and people, what they do is, if they hear about a business, if you don't have a presence online, there's a credibility that just doesn't exist now. And and you also shortchange yourself as a business. So online, one thing that I've learned that we keep adding to it is, when you go on a website, I was on. I always look at different websites, and I went on, and I thought, oh, that's a neat service or whatever. And one thing I really liked was when I when I signed up because I wanted to either be on their email list or I wanted to get a coupon or whatever, immediately I'd get back, a, uh, after I signed on, immediately I would get back a coupon that I could use right then. And I thought, that is smart. That is really smart because none of us really like to wait. So that's another thing that we've added onto our website is when you go on and you sign up uh, to get coupons, as soon as you're done signing up, you got a coupon mail emailed to you, and so it it kind of allows someone they don't have to wait a week or two weeks to get a response. They now have a coupon put in their hands that's again good for 25, 30 days, and that has made a big difference in our online presence. Plus, the great thing about online is you know we're always adding products, 
So we're always showing and showcasing different items. The greatest thing for my business about the online is to be able to gather a email list because I do believe more and more it's it makes sense environmentally to do emails versus sending out tons and tons of postcards. It's a lot less expensive to do that. And more and more people are getting accustomed to getting coupons on the Internet and searching for information and so on and so on. Well, one of the greatest things about our Internet, or I mean not our Internet, our website, is that when we gather the information from the individual for an email, um, we then send out a monthly item of, you know, item of the month. We showcase something. And, it, and again, it gives our customer, who we, who we already know likes our product and has, in most cases, purchased something, we send them a picture of an item that now is a item of the month and there's a super special discount on it. So we're always sending something out to them, not always being every week, but we send it out twice a month. We don't barrage them like every four or five days with emails. You get two a month, that's all you get. And it seems to be the right amount of time to send something. It doesn't overwhelm them. There's some companies I've signed up with to get their email coupons. And I'm telling you, I think I get two or three a week, and it's just it's too much. <clears throat> so the Internet has been really phenomenal for the growth of my business, and it really enhances it in many ways because, like you said, we're in Scottsdale. Well, a lot of people around the country, if they don't have a second home here, they visit Scottsdale for a lot of different reasons. And we get a lot of snowbirds that come here from Chicago, New York, all over the country. Well, when they come in, you know, they'll buy a lot of stuff and we'll sh they'll ship it out just before they head back home in April or right in that time frame. Since we've done the web, one thing that's helped us a lot is when they've been in our store, they'll go, oh, you know, I remember a whole bunch of clocks. I'm going to go online and look at them. And they do, and then they get it because they really wanted to buy it when they were here, but maybe their husband was with them or whatever <laughs> the restrictions might have been. And then they'll go online and they'll buy it later. So the Internet and the web has been phenomenal for us to be able to facilitate those future purchases. Now you're, you're actually answering a question that I had for you, and that was, are there, are there any downsides? But I, I'm guessing that if somebody cannot attend the store, at least they can go online, and then at least they have a picture of the image, and then they can be prepared to come into the store, but you can alert them as to whether that, that product is, is even in the store. Because one of the things, uh, going back, that I just noted down here, is you said none of us like to wait to get a response, referring to coupons from the website. And, of course, doesn't this apply to customers coming into the store, especially now with youngsters? Nobody is like... Uh, youngsters who go online to get music and they're not like our day when we would like to have the the single you know stacked up on our shelf they just want it now and that's the mentality um i suppose it i suppose this is a uh, there's a um a thin line here isn't there which I, I suppose that you can you can take care of with the website in concert with your stock in the store Right. And you're absolutely right. And and I think 
I think so many of us are guilty of it. I certainly am, am where, where it comes to, you know, if I, if I want something, we do want it now. We're in a society that, that is instant gratification. And, and it doesn't, retailers have to understand it's no different in their store. If a customer comes in and you, want, you have something on sale or you have a product, they don't want to, you know, I import a lot of furniture from India. Well, they don't want to um, look at that beautiful piece of furniture, a dining room table or whatever it might be, and they're in love with it. <clears throat> Their thought is, well, I'd really like to have it at home tonight. And I do it. You want it home tonight? This is what you get. I don't tell them, okay, well, we have to order. It's going to be six to eight weeks, and then we'll have it in. The reality is nobody wants that. So it is a fine line of how people run all those different things in business, but it is very frustrating when you go to a place, and especially if they advertise something or if they have it online, and they're out of it. And, it, and it's, yet it's a hard thing for a retailer. How do you figure out what you're going to buy? But it's the best thing that I can uh, approach that with is, since a lot of this stuff I have manufactured in Mexico and brought up here, you know, you kind of figure out what to buy. But I can also execute things pretty quickly, and I can have the product here fairly quickly. And if I can't, I, don't, I just don't promise anybody, hey, you're going to get it in four weeks. I tell them this is probably not going to come in for a long time. Maybe there's something else you might want. And especially when it comes to the furniture I sell, everybody wants it right now. And I don't blame them. I do too because the reason they're out looking for a piece of furniture is because either they have an empty spot in the house or what they have is needs replacing, and they don't really want to wait two, three more weeks. Well, I suppose if you're buying an item in the thousands rather than the tens or hundreds, you you expect it to be there on the shop floor. Is that not one of the downsides of a company like uh, Pottery Barn or or, or something? Uh, along those lines where they'll have it in their catalogs but for the life of you if you go into a store more often than not it will not be on the shop floor and if it is on the shop floor it's soiled so that they can't sell it to you anyway so correct me if I'm right or wrong here but at the beginning of the program you did state that you like to have more inventory in than most so that you, you can have as much available for your customers as possible. Right. Which, which I suppose works with that whole old-fashioned methodology that if you look back at my parents back in the 60s and 70s, you know, Saturday and Sunday, I mean, the, the half of family life was the pleasure of being able to go out to the stores. Even if it was 7 o'clock at night on a cold night, but they loved having all the lights on in the streets and they would go into the stores and they would be able to touch and feel and, and find everything that they wanted. Is that very much the way you, you work? And, and if that is the, the way you work, which I'm sure it is, is there a way to ensure that your website projects that image? Um, yeah, I don't know if the website projects the image that we have all these things in stock, but we make sure and try to make sure that the items we do put on there are items that we're able to get very quickly if for some reason we do run out. But I've always believed, it's funny when you talk about like your parents and my parents, and I think about, um, you know, 
stores and and you know the old hardware stores when you went in and they had 15 shovels in the in the bucket uh, to sell you. I really believe and have always believed you cannot sell apples from an empty cart. You can't. And so people like when they come into my store and they find um, you know 20 different bowls that are stacked 15 and 20 deep of all polished pewter items, they love to dig through them because everyone's handcrafted and everyone, uh, the mold is broken on. So there's little uh, characteristics that are different on each one. And so they love to dig through it. They, They don't want to pick from two bowls on the shelf. They like it when there's 15 and 20 different items to pick from deep. And so it also allows me to cover several different parts of my business. In my store, which, and you've been here, you know, I think it's one of the most beautiful stores that you could ever go to. And, and I am very proud of that, and it really is the truth. So when people come in, I have that portion of the business, the retail part, I call it. Then we have a presence in the wholesale market, so we have accounts all over the country that will call in and, and order things. So then we have to go pull off of the floor so remember, the retail persons, they're digging through the same stuff on the floor. Then we go to pull the items off the floor when a wholesaler buys something, and then we have the web that pulls off the floor. So it's important that I have things well-stocked. The difference is I operate my store in essence like a warehouse, but a beautiful warehouse. So there's a lot of product to pick through, and it's set up beautiful so you you must have very good merchandisers there daniel oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny we I, you know we do we do we have some gals who are absolutely phenomenal at what they do and they love what they do and they are good they are very very good i must behave myself yeah <laughs> um the okay so what i'm getting out of this is a really passionate passionate methodology that that you are really trying your best to understand people to understand what they want to understand what makes and and this isn't being sexist or anything but the 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 lady loves to go shopping mm-hmm. the lady feels comfortable in the store and yes i have been to holland boone and i can certainly understand why they would be comfortable that is obviously you're not uh, an analytical machine like the bigger giant retail giants you are creating a persona you're creating an environment in which your customers can feel at home and comfortable that if they're not going to walk out of that store with a purchase, that you're going to feel comfortable in yourself that they're certainly going to return one day to buy something. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the other thing is, it's like, you know, I'm not out to conquer the world with 100 stores. Um, one thing that I do like, and I'm very thankful for, and I'm very proud of, is that our store, it is a nice, it's a pleasant experience. And, it, and it's a nice experience. And several people, a lot of times, um, they'll call me after they've been in the store, and they'll say, hey, um, is this a franchise? I mean, can, I, can you tell me where I can get information to buy it? Because it's set up like it's really a chain store in some respects, that it's, it's big, and, and it has a lot of merchandise. But 
it's it's you know it is really well run and and we we have a wonderful wonderful following of customers and I'm really super thankful for them and I do you know I try to make sure I get on the floor I believe that Saturdays in the retail business is game day and I think you need to be there as much as you can and you know when I when I'm on the floor I hear the real things that customers are saying because a lot of them may not know that I'm the owner and sometimes well actually more than not I like to go on a lot of deliveries we sell furniture and I'll go on the delivery. I want to see what the homes look like. I want to hear what they say about how they were treated. And I ask them questions. Or sometimes they just start bragging about my store, and they'll say, oh, you, you've definitely got to tell the owner that we just love the store. And I'll go, well, I am the owner. And they'll go, oh, my God, you're kidding. I can't believe you're out here. I mean, you're making a delivery and da-da-da. I don't think of it that way as much as they do. But, you know, it's like one thing that I think in business when you do have a problem or a customer has a problem with a retail store or a purchase or whatever, I think we've all been in this place. It's very frustrating when you cannot get to the person who can make a decision to correct the problem. So at my store, I put my cell number right on the front door so that everybody has access to come right to the top. I don't want anybody to have to go through a chain of command and getting turned down, turned down, turned down with certain protocols of, well, here's how we do it, here's how we do it. You have a problem, you have a concern, you have a comment, you have a compliment, you have a question. My name and my cell phone number is right on the front door of my location. So when you walk in, you have an ability to contact me direct. And and it is a very good thing that that's allowed because... As you and I are consumers, and we go out and buy something, and we all know the runaround, when you make a call back to a place, you have to wait, and you have to wait, and that's not protocol. And that's very frustrating because you spent your hard-earned money there, and you're not being acknowledged. In the final minutes of the program, I would like to turn attention to trading with uh, partners in other countries. And I know that you source goods from India and Mexico. Um, you're probably uh, um, well established and educated in tariffs and uh, the the ease of the of the uh, travel of goods. Do you still think it is as viable today to source goods from abroad for for retail for companies such as yourself? Uh, as uh, as it was 10 years ago, and do you think it will still be as easy or become easier in the future to continue that? I, I do. I think that the products that I carry lend themselves to um, being acquired from overseas more so than here because it's a, it's a, many of the products I carry have their own culture when, when I bring them in. So when I bring in uh, products from Mexico City and uh, the polished pewter and the Mexican glassware and certain things along those lines, there's a part of that culture and that history that comes with it. This is something that, that, that they're popular, they're known for, or they, there's certain towns and villages that all they do are make, they make glass and they blow glass and they... Um, make and create these beautiful things. Well, 
I don't want those things to be machine stamped. I don't want them to be perfect. People, um, the product when they come into my store, people like the fact that they have little bubbles in the glass and they they sit uh, with a slight um, accent to it that just doesn't look perfect, but it looks really cool. And so from my standpoint and my product, it definitely makes sense that I continue to bring in products from Mexico that they're custom they're accustomed to making and they're good at it. And then when it comes to India, most of the things I bring in from there is the furniture. Um, and they do a really good job making it. And the, the quality is nice. The wood is heavy. It's um, A lot of the pieces are one of a kind. And again, you can't re- recreate those. There's a lot of um, old doors or old doorways or things like that where they'll We'll buy them in India, and then we'll have a cabinet made out of the, the door. So the front part might be 100 years old, and yet the whole shelving unit inside and everything is just dark wood that's new, but um, it makes for a beautiful one-of-a-kind piece. And so as far as importing goods from for me, I don't think that it will get harder um, it, it hasn't gotten harder for me. There's some things where they check things more, which is good, though. I'm glad that, that our our um, Homeland Security does that. And so, you know, for me, it hasn't been an issue. What is, in conclusion, your feeling about uh, business in the future? Uh, are you, at this stage confident about um, our economy, Daniel, that it will recover this year? I I wouldn't say recover this year. I think I, I am confident that the economy will recover. I am confident that our country is going to be okay. I think it will take time. Um, do I think this year? No, I think that there's still some there's a lot of things that have to um, that have to change, and I think unemployment uh, is definitely one of them. So when the unemployment picture starts to change, and people do get their jobs back or they get jobs, I think that that will be a huge catalyst in everything else happening. Do you, do you think that that is somewhat restricted by the shape of our manufacturing in the future? I, no, I don't think it is, because I don't think we've been a manufacturing nation for quite some time. I think we're really an information nation. I think we 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 sell the technology, we create it. Um, I think that, you know, the, the job, there, there is some of the jobs that are lost to countries that, um, you know, technicians and, and things like that. So there is some of that that changes, but that's not... That's not manufacturing or production. Um, I think that we're, I think Americans are very innovative and they're smart, and, and I think we've all gotten lazy for a while. And I think that when, when you have a shakeup like this, you start to think, okay, how do I make this happen and how do I do it and how do I get on my feet again? And I think that, that that's what will take place, and people will really wake up and become more efficient at what they do, and not only from the employee, but also the employer. And I think that that as they come together and they start to realize that we all need each other, employees, 
need employers and vice versa, where it may not have really been a lot of that in the past, I think that when that changes, it will benefit everybody. And finally, uh, your thoughts of your own career, your your own business. Um, how has it uh, changed your life and how much are you looking forward to expanding your business now, Daniel, and, make, well, and making it great for your customers? The, the expansion of my business is not so much in, in expansion of locations, but it would be in the expansion of, of new products. And I think that that's something that we do very, very well. I am very excited about the future. I've, I've always been optimistic. I think no matter what, women are going to always want to decorate with a new season in their life, whether it be Valentine's or Halloween or Easter or Christmas or fall. And, and as we always come out with new products and we always display them in our store, it's just like a, a gal always, you know, she might have 50 purses, but all of a sudden there's another purse that's really cute and they're going to get it. And so... The thing that I feel really good about is that we will make it, we'll we'll get through it, and everybody, I know it sounds really cliche, but really, everybody's got to relax and and just realize things will pass, you know, it's not going to always stay tough, and things will get better. And I think I'm allowed to um, uh, broadcast to our listeners, uh, listeners at your website, and what is that, Daniel? Oh, thank you. It's Holland Boone, H-O-L-L-A-N-D, Holland Boone, B-O-O-N-E dot com. And uh, whereabouts are you located again for them? Uh, we're right in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's uh, that's the hot place, isn't it? That is. Um, we're, we're in a great area. Um, it's beautiful to look at the mountains every day and and it's a, it is, it's a beautiful part of the town, and I'm very fortunate to be able to run a business here and live here. Daniel Boone, it's been an absolute enormous pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with me, and um, I, I wish you so much luck, luck in the future. Oh, thanks, David. I really appreciate you having me on, and I, I hope you have a wonderful year also. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. If you have any uh, information that you require on this or any other program in the series, you can visit davidgibbons.org. There is a, a fully functional blog site that you can leave questions and feedback on, and I'm sure that our guests would be happy to respond to any questions that you may have. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org this programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors